In at number 10, we have Kano. This made the list based on Kano performing at the most unexpected locations, London's Royal Albert Hall. For those of you wondering, who is Kano? He is one of Grimes' originators. Now I imagine some of you might be asking, what is Grime? If I could put it in one sentence, its origins were being underground rap in the UK. So now you know a bit about Kano and a bit about Grime. What makes this so amazing is that you have a very anti-royal sound being performed in the most royal places. This was epitomised for me when Kano performed Class of Deja. To give you a bit of background behind the song, Deja Vu was a pirate radio station back in the day. And based off the name Pirate, I'm sure you can imagine, it wasn't a legal entity. So to listen to pirate radio stations, you had to get adapters to be able to basically tune into grime. And when this would happen, you'd have a whole bunch of artists getting together, clashing, spitting bars, doing their thing. And so it represented everything that was anti-establishment. So now then, fast forward 20 or so years, for them to be in the most pro-establishment of places was like overwhelming for, I guess, everyone that grew up on grime and those that kind of jumped onto the grime scene later on. To give you a bit more perspective about what made this show so memorable, for someone like myself growing up in the East End, which at the time was one of the most deprived areas in the UK, going to see a show in the Royal Albert Hall, which was the west side of London, which was the most affluent area in the UK, was unthinkable. Like the closest for me ever getting to that location would be playing Monopoly. <laughs> so like it was something that would I could never imagine happening. So then now there to be there, share it with so many other people that grow up had grown up listening to that sort of music was just amazing. In at number nine, we have my guy JT, Justin Timberlake, for those who don't know. And let me start off by saying my videos don't quite do this man justice. He's an amazing performer and was someone I wanted to see from the days when he was in NSYNC. Just going to put this out there as a side note. Justified, one of the best albums ever. I don't care what anyone has to say. The only album I've listened to more would be Michael Jackson's Bad. So for me and for a lot of you out there that's probably listened to Bad, I'm sure that must put things into perspective. But let's get back on track. Uh, for whatever reason, I can't tell you why, this show was initially delayed. It was given to me as a, a birthday gift. Probably one of the best birthday gifts I've got up until this point. Uh, I don't think anything has topped it as a matter of fact. But yes, one of the greatest birthday gifts I've got for anyone that knows me being a Justin Timberlake fan. Boom, like you've hit all the boxes. And the delay caused it to coincide with the 2018 World Cup. For some of you, you might be thinking, why on earth am I mentioning this? For anyone that was in the UK at that moment in time, the 2018 World Cup was the epitome of sporting fever. Everyone would know that during that time, the expectations for England prior to the World Cup were probably just to get to the quarterfinals and get knocked out. But for some reason, with every game, the belief that it was coming home got stronger and stronger and stronger. Bearing in mind, this was summertime. The fever was so intense that events that would never ever have a big screen to show sporting events were being forced to do so because they know people who had happily paid £80 to come and attend their show would give it a miss to stay at home or go to the pub to watch England play their matches. England haven't won the World Cup since 1966. Even if you don't watch football, I think that's like common knowledge. Everyone knows England hasn't won it since 1966. So to be alive and be old enough to witness this, I think it was like, oh my gosh, it's actually going to happen. This might become a national holiday. 
So as you can probably guess, JT's concert wasn't the exception. So they had this transparent screen to play the game on, which at the time I thought was kind of random. But looking back on it, they had clearly thought about this. So the reason they had the transparent screen was so that the warm-up acts can play their music while the game can be played in silence. <laughs> Whether that was a good idea or not, who knows, but that's what they decided to do. One of his warm-up acts were the Shadow Boxers, people who I'm a big fan of. It was one of the few times I've gone to a concert really anticipating seeing one of the warm-up acts. For me, it was a bit annoying that they had the game being played over them because it almost seemed like they were just an add-on or they were almost like background noise, which was unfortunate. But I guess if you wanted people to come in, pack the stadium up, then it had to be done. It was definitely an unusual place to be watching a football match, particularly a semi-final match to get into the first World Cup final for England since 1966. But any major uh, tournament final since 1966. So you can imagine the atmosphere in the arena was crazy. Never do you see like the arena being packed prior to a headliner coming on stage. And everything was going perfect until England lost. The moment that final whistle went, and it was official that England had been knocked out of the World Cup, the energy in the arena was drained, absolutely drained. When Justin came on, he mentioned how he's loved World Cup fever, like take off on social media. But I think he realised at which point it was probably the worst decision he could have made because from then onwards, as I mentioned, the atmosphere in this arena was absolutely dead. So depending on how you look at this, this could be considered an entry for the good or entry for the bad. <laughs> I think most people might think it as an entry for the bad, but I thought his performance was amazing, but it was definitely memorable because of the nature of England losing and the crowd suddenly going absolutely dead. In at number eight, we have gigs. And this makes the list for a number of reasons. Number one, it was for charity. Number two, gigs gave you the option to pay as much as you wished, which was a great idea because those who had the means to pay a whole leap for the ticket would do so. And those who didn't have as much but still wanted to show appreciation paid what they could manage. And finally, it was the first time I went to a concert with a whole bunch of my friends. Uh, normally, it would just be two, two of us going. On this occasion, it was four. So being able to get them out to one was memorable. As it was a charity concert, I'm not going to lie, before we went in there, I was under the assumption it was kind of going to be a half-hearted concert because essentially he wasn't necessarily gaining or he didn't necessarily have a lot to gain from it because it was for charity per se. But when I tell you Giggs done his thing, I admire him. He pulled out all the stops. He brought Kano... DWE, Footsie, Deneo, but most importantly, he brought out Dave. At this point, I wouldn't say I was a fully fledged Dave fan. I'd listened to some of his music, but I wouldn't say Dave was that guy that was getting played in my car all the time. I had heard a lot of people talk about his verse on Peligro, saying that he went in, he bodied gigs. I was I was personally reluctant to believe this. So when when the track dropped and you could see everyone going crazy, you could feel the anticipation. Dave coming out so I was thinking okay cool I'm waiting and the way the instrumental is obviously I would link it into here but <laughs> copyright issues I'll see if I can hum it and get away with it don't judge me don't judge me <laughs> when you listen to it you'll see what I'm doing 
Then Dave starts his verse. And all of a sudden, bar after bar, my head is like spinning. I'm thinking, what's going on? <laughs> like, this verse is amazing. Like, I kid you not, after you left the concert, I must have played the song on repeat like a million times. Up until now, like, I can say the whole verse off my head. It's crazy. And then five or so months later, he dropped Psychodrama. And then the rest was history. I was a full, full Dave fan. I've since seen him, I think, three times. And he's a top lad. Very humble. This is just a side note. Me and my guy went to see The weekend one year. Uh, when we were leaving the concert, we just so happened to bump into Dave. And this is when he had, he had dropped a track which Drake had done a cover. I can't remember the name of the song. So me and my guy went to go speak to him and he was like real humble. Even for someone who at that time was still relatively known. He like he just walking amongst the crowd as if to say, I'm doing doing, doing decent, but I still ain't like a Jay-Z, for example. So I can't help but think of that moment anytime I listen to his music and particularly as someone who is now a fully fledged fan, like I, always, I wish him all the best. If he does hear this, keep doing what you're doing. Next stop, go win us a Grammy. It's about time one of the guys from the UK who's a rapper ended up getting a, a Grammy. The second highlight of this concert was when Giggs performed KMT. I think because he had brought everyone out already, the tension for him bringing out Drake was immense. Like, I think in one of the videos when my guy was recording, you could hear people saying, oh my God, I think that's Drake in the background. I think that's Drake in the background. Unfortunately, he didn't bring out Drake, but the energy was still mad. A lot of people I know aren't a fan of gigs, but when this track dropped, everyone in the UK was all over it. Everyone. And I think it was a testament to gigs as to why he's been in the game for so long. Like, who would have thought a Giggs's verse would be a million times better than Drake's verse. At this point, I'm imagining a lot of Americans commenting in the <laughs> the comments below saying, oh, I'm talking nonsense. Because I remember when the track came out, there were so many memes and comments of Americans saying, oh, Giggs can't rap, he can't rap. But if they were to attend any party during, during that year and the year following, any concerts where that song got performed, any, anything where that song was played, the moment you heard Batman, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> I think anyone would struggle to find a song that produces a way bigger response. In at number seven, we have another East End boy by the name of Getz. And the performance of this caliber for me was well overdue on behalf of Getz. He's been on the grime scene from day one, has always been known for being able to drop some serious freestyles, good with clashing come good on features the only thing that was missing on my part was a solid album and he finally delivered with that album in 2021 with conflict of interest and that was reflected in his show getting sold out instantly at the roundhouse that said i was a bit worried about how good his show was going to be earlier in the summer he had done a set as part of dizzy rascal's show down in crystal palace and i wasn't particularly convinced it seemed like he was just going through the motions and he'd also done a show at, at Box Park for Eskimo Dance. I was a bit concerned about whether he was just going to be recycling a set. I was wrong, big time. He demonstrated everything about what grime meant to people like myself growing up. And he showed why grime, for me, will forever be unrivaled as a genre. Grime and the culture over here, growing up, it was like, it was just something ridiculous. So you might be wondering what I mean. He'd done freestyles, asking the fans to throw out words for him to rap to. 
the DJ started mixing his tracks with other tracks, at which point, I'm not going to lie to you, my head was gone. Like, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. On top of that, he was on stage for a time, at least 90 minutes. And that's something I would expect from someone doing a show at the O2. So for him to stay on stage for that long, I think he really wanted to prove a big point to everyone out there to say, Kano's done it, Skepta's done it, Dizzy's done it. Now it's my turn. I'm, I'm on the same level with them. Don't you guys forget that. And it meant a lot to me because the last time I was at the Roundhouse, I remember seeing Rick Ross and he was on stage for like 40 minutes. And since then, I've kind of lost my respect for Rick Ross. Stay tuned to see if he, <laughs> Stay tuned to see if he makes it into this list. For me, which cemented how much he meant or, and continues to mean to the grime culture was the age demographic that attended the concert. Normally, nowadays, you'll go to a concert and people will probably be between, let's say, 16 to 21. Without a shadow of doubt, pretty much everyone at this concert, like 95% of us, were over the age of 25. And that reflected those of us that had grown up on grime. But not only that, it was a massive testament to Getz to say, all these people that have followed you for how many years have come out to support you at your defining moment. And this point was proven even further. When I kid you not, I bumped into so many people I have not seen in years. And to think of all places, it would be a get show that unites us all together. It was crazy. And I don't think Getz himself even knows that's the effect he's had. Normally, we'll go to a show and I might bump into one, two, three people. People, I kid you not, I bumped into at least 25 people I know. And <laughs> 25, I don't know. If any of you have bumped into more people at a concert, please put that in the comments. And I refuse to believe that any of you have. The only downer to the concert, I would say, is Getz didn't perform IC3 with Skepta and Little Bo Peep, he didn't bring out Dave and Wretch. Had he done those two things, it would have been absolutely complete. I could have gone home and been at peace for the rest of my life. And in at number six, it just right now it seems like I'm uh, plugging everyone from East London. But <laughs> we've got another grime legend, and that's D-double-E. He started off in the jungle scene, if I'm correct, and then somehow worked his way into grime. For years I've wanted to see D-double. Everyone knows D-double. Ooh, ooh, bloke, bloke, Like, I've never known someone, <laughs> like, make people get so hyped just off of ad-libs. Like, it's crazy. I remember a group of us wanted to go see him at XOYO, and the ticket sold out instantly. So I was like, I'm never going to allow that to happen again. Next time he's got tickets, I'm going to get them real quick. So the second time came about and he was doing a show at Brixton Jam. D-Double was just like DJing essentially. But interestingly enough, it turns out that within the scene, he's been known for being like a letdown artist. And that's probably been one of the reasons I hear a lot of people say why he hasn't gone on to reach the same heights that someone like Kano has. And that's despite everyone respecting him when he's doing his thing. Because of how good Getz's concerts was, like literally everyone was hyped and when we heard that D-Double was doing a show coming up in, I think it might have been December, we are all like, yep, everyone's got to go, we all got to go. So everyone went and bought their tickets. Apparently, considering how long he's been in the game, this was his first UK-wide tour. And I think because of the stigma that has been associated with him for being a letdown artist, on this occasion, he fought real hard about what he was going to do on stage. Because the set itself, ended up being really good. The only downside is that he didn't manage to sell out and considering it's a pretty small venue, that was really unfortunate. If we're able to look past that, D-Double done something very smart in which he played music from every part of his career 
and it wasn't as if to say uh, he had a segment only for the old school songs segment or a segment only for the new school songs he had intertwined everything throughout the process but seeing how the concert unfolded and assuming that D-Double's done so many shows before I think I might have adjusted my layout differently if I was assisting him with putting the set together so D-Double started to show off with plenty of songs that I liked and me and my friends liked but it turned out the crowd weren't feeling it the moment he dropped down dropped the jungle atmosphere went mad and after that he started bringing out his guests and like one after the other they were coming out giving him his plaudits saying how much they respect him i think the most notable for me was jme he brought jme and mentioned how he remembers the first time he met d-double and when when he got the call up to be able to go in the studio with him about how mind blown he was he also done something fairly uncommon he played a lot of his feature verses which for me was great because a lot of concerts which were good could have turned to great and like unbelievable if people have played their verses from other songs that they're on and as is the case with grime tradition he started freestyling over different instrumentals but then took it a stage further he got all the guests that he had brought out during the show to come on stage with him and everyone started freestyling back to back i've never seen that done before at a concert and i don't think i ever will again and for me with him doing that, it literally felt like back in the day when you would see the, the DVDs of people at Signedwinder, etc. Everyone going back to back, clashing and the crowd going mad. And it may just be nostalgia, but it's really amazing to see the influence that Grime has had on people like myself. Earlier I mentioned I would have done my set slightly differently if I was D-Double. And the reason being, every guest that he brought out showed him so much love. Like, I kid you not, I've never seen so many artists come out and show the love that they showed for him when they finished performing their feature. Every single one of them stopped the music and said, like, if it wasn't D-Double, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. D-Double helped me this way. D-Double helped me that way. D-Double like, inspired me. I don't think D-Double knew they were going to do that. But if he did, what I probably would have done is after doing the on-stage freestyling, I would have played all my classic tracks with them on stage and ultimately they would have acted like his hype man because what happened was at the beginning of the show he used some of those classic tracks and because the crowd weren't hype or for some of the crowd that if they weren't they didn't know the tracks or they weren't feeling it it kind of flew over their head but now if he, they had the crowd had seen that the people that they liked the people that have come out on stage were gassed to it that in itself would have got them hype as always just to conclude with my negativity if you want to call it that there were still a few, even though he performed like a whole heap of tracks, there still a few more that I would have liked to hear. There was a track called Natural Organic of AJ Tracy, Bedroom Bully and Miss Banks, Pumping It Out, That's How I Like It. And that even sounds crazy considering how many tracks he performed. And I think another thing that might have been notable for a lot of people was that you'd be surprised how reserved D-Double was on stage. He, considering that naturally his music is hype music, his persona in itself isn't hype. He's very reserved and like chilled in his manner. So if he was able to work on that, then another two notches to his performance that we can expect.